0: all right good morning lifeline that um was kind of a teaser for our um forge no it's not where's the forge video never mind we had an issue with the forge video (laughs) so there's no forge video but anyway um a little about well let's just play this by ear then um so uh, a couple weeks ago, we had this event called The Forge, and basically what it was, was just a group of guys, there's about 60 or 70 of us here, and we got together, had some speakers, had some worship, and had some really good ribs to eat. Um, so Gator Camp, I don't know if you are familiar with that, um, it's an all-boys camp down in Florida. We have a couple chiefs here, or a couple guys here that chief down there for several years, um, and we had them cater the food. Um, so we paid them around 3,400 dollars to do that. So it was really kind of a win-win. We had four or five guys um, give their hearts to Jesus. Um, yeah, so it was really cool. For the first one yeah, it was super cool. Um, so we just encourage all the guys in here who weren't here, or if you know someone who would love to come, really it was just a big hangout, had games, had fires, and just uh, just had a good time, had some giveaways. Um, So that's kind of what that was about. I'm sure they'll have a video of it one of these Sundays that actually works. Um, But anyway, for those who don't know, my name is Colson Eaton. I'm one of the youth volunteers here at Lifeline and have been doing that on and off for around eight years now. Um, I don't know why, but they keep dragging me up here to preach. This is probably my fourth time. And I got to say, I keep thinking I'm not going to be nervous, but every time my fingernails are pretty well ground to a nub by the end of it. Um... So, last week we started a series called Man Up. Um, Kel brought that to us. And uh, basically, what that was was just kind of a startup of an event about eight of us guys went to at the end of March. And it was an event called um, Men's Encounter in Missouri. Um, So, uh, like I said, about eight of us woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, Friday morning, and drove all night to this men's encounter in Missouri. And basically it was just eight or 900 guys getting together for 48 hours to praise the Lord, to listen to teachings, um, to come together to admit things um, that they had done. A lot, of, a lot of the preaching was testimonies from where guys had been and where they had come from. It was just really powerful um, to see a group of guys come together and do some things that maybe our society kind of views as weak, um, cry, um, be real, be raw with each other, and really just just give over these things that they've been struggling and battling with um, to God. And so that's kind of what The Forge came about. That's kind of how this Man Up series came about. And so that's just a little bit of where we're going with that. And we're going to, um, I believe we have five more weeks after this week um, of that series. So some of you may be thinking that how could, you know, just a young single guy um, get up here and teach me how to be a man, teach some of you great, amazing fathers and husbands, manly men, and um, yes, I am single for all those in the audience. It's my platform, and I'm going to use it the way I want to this morning. Um, so, anyway, that's kind of where we're going with that. And what I can, yeah, anyway, thought I'd just throw that out there. Um, but I can speak to a little bit um, more of the young generation and where we, the struggles that we struggle with. and. And what we see through the generations um, ahead of us and some of the older men. Um, so we are exploring in this series not just what makes a man, but what makes a good man, a godly man. Um, a man that God intended us for us to be. A true man. And in and, and this um, series we're looking more about the truth. And the truth about what God says about us. And the definition of truth um, that we are using um, is truth is what stands up when storms or reality happen. Jesus tells us that if we take what he says is truth and apply it to our lives as a cornerstone, that no matter what storms in, the li- in this life come, because they will come, that nothing will be able to tear us apart um, or make us yield. And as a guy, I think it's natural to be like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Um, unyielding, unbending, kind of like a tree in a storm. We've all seen those, these huge, especially with this tornado that just ripped through Seneca. You see some of the trees that survived, some of the trees that didn't. Um, but it's like a tree in a storm. Um, it may bend, it may break, it may, or branches may fall, leaves may come off. But if it's truly rooted and truly healthy, it won't, um, it won't fall over. Same thing can be said for if you're living a fake life. I think it's very easy to look the part on the outside and on the inside, be broken and be weak. It's like those 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 trees that are rotten on the inside, you know when a storm comes, you're like, "Yeah, that's a nice tree. I got there in my front yard two weeks later, it's on your pool house because the inside of it was destroyed and broken and and uh, it looked apart, it looked like it was healthy, it looked like it was strong but on but on the inside, a place where we maybe not allow people to see, we are broken um, so one of the things that we're going to talk about um, is this term called Toxic masculinity. Um, we've all heard it, and I admit I wasn't real pumped about having to preach about it um, just because it's something I hadn't really delved into a whole lot. It was something that I was like, oh, yeah, toxic masculinity, cool. I'm going to go the other way and do my own thing. But we've all heard it at some point. Really, you just got to turn on the news or any kind of media or anything, really, and you'll see it. Um, so when someone says toxic masculinity, they are referring or defining a man's masculine attributes or characteristics as behaviors that are driven by or expressed through inappropriate violence. They're too aggressive. All they do is pursue sex and status, and they avoid emotional vulnerability. And um, there's definitely some truth to some of these things, especially the part about the emotional vulnerability. Um, And I think, for me personally, it's really easy to think that I'm a man. I have to to hold a certain standard. I can't look weak Um, for my little brothers for... Um, even just just other men judging me, you know if I, if I get up here on, on the altar and you know, i 'm praying and confessing these things, how weak does that make me look i 'm supposed to be strong i 'm supposed to be unyielding i 'm supposed to be doing all these things, and getting up there and asking people for help makes me look weak. One thing our culture is trying to do um, is to go in the opposite direction of toxic masculinity. Um, the opposite of toxic being harmless or powerless, neither of which no self-respecting man wants to, be known to be, wants to be known by. And the opposite of masculine is feminine. Does that look familiar? I think it does. Masculine attributes being dumbed down and replaced with feminine ones when it comes to how a man is viewed. You don't have to look very far in our culture to see that it's becoming more and more of a problem. It seems as though societies, a society wants men and women to become more the same. Anything a man can do, I can do. Anything a woman can do, I can do. What if instead of throwing away masculinity altogether, we go after good masculinity, true masculinity? And where do we find that? Where can we find the key to being godly men, men of substance, men who aren't afraid to draw the line that they are, draw a line that they are unwilling to cross, men who love their wives and value them and champion their children? And like anything else in life that's broken, there's a manual for that. We have to go back to the source, the one who created us and left a handy how-to on this issue. Even Jesus, the one who saved us and the Savior of the world, who was both God and man, even he quoted Scripture when asked about tough issues. He knew that the Bible was the key to the many questions that we would have about this life. He set the example of how powerful the Word of God is. Um, So there's a metaphor that compares being a man to that of being um, a sharp knife. And if you were here last Sunday... You would have heard Kel um, introduce this, and it's kind of a a common theme um, that we're going to be running throughout this series. And, um, you know, I don't have some really nice, expensive um, knife like Kel had. This is actually um, a knife that my dad got me when I was probably five or six. Um, I believe it's from Jamaica, I think. It says it's made in Brazil, but but maybe bought in Jamaica. I don't know where he got it. He might have got it from the local pawn shop. Who knows? But anyway, so the metaphor is this: that when sharp, well, hang on here. That when sharpened in the right hands, the knife can be used for many great and productive and productive things. It can be used to um, create things. It can be used to protect those that we love. But on the flip side, it can also be used to do. Obviously, it's not sharp. By the way, I'm holding. I'm just kind of brandishing it up here. Um, it has the ability to slice, to cut, and to wound. Um, it's kind of the same way with being a man. The t- society's solution, however, is to just do away with all knives. Let's just get rid of the masculinity altogether. Or better yet, let's just take a grinder to this knife and completely take the edge off of it. That way it still has the same look as a man. It still looks the same, but it's pretty well useless and powerless. And it's just all, really all it's good to do is just sit there and look the part. But... What if we were to sharpen this knife as much as possible and get it to its max potential and then train the ones holding it? Anything that has a potential to do good also always has a potential to do bad. It's all in the way it's used and it's trained. This is where the older generation comes. I look throughout this congregation and I see a lot of amazing men that I respect and that um, I'm lucky enough to have good friendships with and I don't think they'll ever realize how much I value their input in my life and how much I look up to them. And that's, that's really what us younger guys are looking for, especially in today's you know, society where you know the media tells you this is how a man's supposed to look or a media tells you that, hey, you know what? You're being too masculine over here. Let's, let's d- dim it down a little bit. Let's grind that edge a little bit. Take a little bit of the sharpness away. And so as, as a younger man, I know there's a row of guys in the back who can appreciate this, is we are looking for examples from the older guys on how they lead their families, how they love their wives, how they love their children, how they raise their kids and do just everyday things, down to even how they work. Um, however, when something that was meant to be used for good gets turned around and used for evil or something that was never intended to be used for and then someone gets hurt or injured not even physically, emotionally, spiritually, then what do we do? We turn around, and as humans, we always look for someone to blame, even though we were using it for completely the wrong purpose. One, one analogy I, had, uh, I heard, and kind of had to laugh because I could see a select few of those same young guys trying this, um, was that of taking a lawnmower and flipping it upside down and using it as a helicopter. It kind of sounds ridiculous, but honestly, I could see some of the boys in the back doing that. And I even went on YouTube to see if there was any examples of it. Unfortunately, there wasn't. I guess society isn't that dumb. Maybe. Um, there was some crazy stuff, though, but no flying uh, lawnmowers. Um, so it might seem like a good idea, and it might seem like, hey, actually, that might work. You might some modifications and make it look a certain way. And take a few things away and give it a few things um, that it didn't have. Maybe it'll work. The lawnmower was never designed to fly. And eventually, there will be catastrophic consequences. Then what happens? Life blows up in our faces. We get angry at the lawnmower and sue the manufacturer. We try to manipulate things to work for our desires and our wants. And then are surprised when life doesn't go our way. How true is that with us and God? Not even just as men, but just life in general. When life doesn't go your way, when you know good and well you're not doing things the way God wants you to do, and then life happens. And then we look to God and say, well, why did you let this happen to me? And God's there the whole time like, I didn't let it happen to you. You chose to do that. What's true for knives and true for lawnmowers and true for helicopters is true for people. And throughout history, men have misused their power, and their resulting consequences have resulted in the deaths of billions, the hurts that have been caused and sufferings at the hands of misuse of power, If you don't believe me just start googling it all the atrocities throughout history it's nothing new the same thing was happening in the bible there is a brokenness and an anger that can be traced back to choices both good and bad things happen because of choices that were once made big or small it's all about choice god i choose to follow the world example god i really don't trust that this job opportunity is going to work out. I'm going to go do my own thing. God, I really don't trust that this person is right. I'm going to go out here and start partying and just having a good time because I don't want to wait for the good things that you have in my life. God, I don't trust you. And that's how life happens. In his letters to the church in Rome, Paul talks of some of the same trials and challenges that were going on back in his day. Romans 1:18 through 25 um, says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. All right, here's the scary part. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of their immortal God for images made to look like immortal human, mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged a the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised, Amen. So it says in verse eighteen, it says the wrath of God. Other definitions of wrath include rage, annoyance, exasperation. God was annoyed; he was sick of it. Evil was nothing new. You cannot be annoyed with something if it not ha- if it has not been happening for a while, unless you're my brother and when you can really be just be thinking about something and he's annoyed with you. That is no lie. Just ask any of my family members. Um, but God was sick of it. He had had enough, and he was exasperated. And verse 20 through 22, it says, we know better. This was not something that was just for the small church in Italy back in the day. If we belie- believe the Bible to be God's true word, then anything in it automatically applies to us as well. 25 says they exchange truth for a lie and worship and serve created things. What does that look like today? Money, our job, hobbies, parties. Maybe it's not even anything as cool as that. Maybe it's just something that we choose to do to do more than digging in God's Word and spending time with Him. We have no excuses. Verse 20 tells us that He has put in visible qualities and power has been clearly seen. Things like nature, the beauty of a sunset, the complex design of animals, and the star, stars that twinkle at night. They all point to a creator, a designer, a God who loves us. We can run from the truth for a while, but it always catches back up with us. I know some of the younger kids um, will be able to, uh, whatever you call it, like this example. It's like those bendy plastic rulers we had in school, you know, those things. um, We can make it look uh, a certain way because they're flexible. You know, we can bend them, make cool designs and stuff like this. But they always eventually come back to their original form. Why? Because it always catches up with us. It can, it can stay a certain way for a while. You can say, well, your truth is true for you, but it's not true for me. What God says about the Bi- in the Bible may be true for you and applies to you, but it don't apply to me. That ruler always comes back. The truth always comes out. This doesn't mean that God gives up on you, but there is a point where God allows us to follow our own hearts because we have denied him time and time again. Then verse 24 happens. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And then 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. God doesn't give up on us. We have free will, similar to the prodigal son demanding to do things his own way. He became impatient and weary of waiting on the good things that his father had for him. So instead, he decided to strike out on his his own. Ignoring the pleas of his father, he sat out on his own. He came to realize that doing life his own way only led to sorrow and a constant appetite that could never be filled. Why? Because he was filling his mind, his heart, his body with worldly things instead of the things that God had for him, things that were true. Likewise, God wants only the best for us. But like the father in the story, he allows us to make our own choices. He is not there standing there holding back, holding us back from living the life on our own terms. He just wants us to heed his word and to see all the good in the life that he has in store. So the boy's father, who still loves him, he lets him go out and on his own to learn those life lessons the hard way. It's like dad, you know, my dad growing up, he's like, well, that'll teach you whenever he told me something that I wasn't allowed to do. Well, you'll learn next time, won't you? I think there's a lot of fathers in here that can probably, and a lot of sons that can. Uh, resonate with that. I'll let you do it, but you're going to learn the hard way. You're going to learn today, as the saying goes. The Bible says that the young man ended up eating slop with the pigs because he had nothing to eat and no money. I love how Jesus throws this little detail in there because the pigs to the Jews were off limits. They were considered... Below, disgusting, the worst of the worst so when it says that he was eating the pig, even the pig's food, the Jews in that day could really resonate with that and be like, wow he was at the very bottom of what life could offer what does that look like today? God is there not making us follow him and verses 24 and 25 are extremely unnerving to me, when I read that um, when this was my section to, to preach on and I read that, that verse right there Um, and 24 when it says God handed them over to their own desires doesn't mean he gives up on us but it does um, it does say that he kind of all right. well if you're not going to listen to me if you keep telling me to butt out of your life and you're not going to do things on my terms then go ahead you'll learn today as men it is our duty to raise up the next generation to know the truth God's truth and for those in the room who are fathers it's your job now In the future, it will be my job as well. Although, if you ask my dad, it will be more like 20 years. I will probably be more like his age by the time I do that. But anyway. Um, But I did think of this cool illustration. And uh, for all the hunters in the room, I think you are going to appreciate this. Um, But I am an avid hunter. That is where I find that I can get um, closer to God. And um, so, I thought of an example here. So let's just unstrap this baby. This is a Matthew's triax, for those who do not know. It is a bow. That's not going to work out very well. There we go. So it's a bow. Um, um, and Kel, he brought this huge knife last week. So this is my one-up on him. I, you know, if people keep bringing illustrations, we might end up with a tank in here um, for five more weeks. But... You know, who knows? Um, but just talking about the next generation and bringing up the next generation of men um, and just children in general. Um, Psalms 127, uh, 4 through 5 says this, and this was written by Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live. Um, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So Solomon knew the importance of a bow, even though God's promise, God promised him peace throughout his reign. His father David was a mighty warrior um, and fought pretty well his whole life. So he know, knew what a bow meant and how um, the example that that would set. Um, so I kind of thought, did in brainstorming, and kind of thought how I could kind of plug this in um, to what I was talking about. So now to properly shoot an arrow and be accurate, there are several parts to this bow that all have to be working together to hit the target. Um, You have the rest right here. Um, That's what your arrow um, sits on. You have your sight that points to your target. Mine in this case, if you can see it, it glows. Pretty cool. Um, I love this thing if you can't tell. Um, And then you have the peep sight, which is... Probably the most important part. I don't know if you can see it, but it's a loop in the string right here um, that you have to look through. And so the rest represents your home life, the environment that your kids are brought up in, their support system. What does that look like in your household? Is it chaotic? Or is it a stable, safe place for them to come home and know that they are loved and appreciated? A solid foundation for them to sit on. The site represents your day-to-day habits and ways of doing life that show your children the direction that they should be working toward or the target. Now the peep sight is a hole in the string like I was talking about that you have to look through to see your sight. So you have to look through the peep sight and find your sight in that. Um, And this keeps your your bow straight. It's not angled, you're not looking at it like this or like that, you're straight. Um, So without the peep sight, your bow will be crooked even without realizing it and you will not hit your target I can promise you that there's been many arrows ended up in dad's shed and in places that they should never be because of misuse um, the peep site, the P-site is God's truth that you line up all the other areas of your, of your life with to keep them straight and pointed in the right direction so if the band wants to start coming on up um, we'll close here in a little bit Um, but children are a responsibility from God, wherever the band is, um, a responsibility from God, um, to myself and to the other younger guys in the room. I would challenge you with this is that that group of kids that was just sitting up here, even though we're not fathers and we're not, um, husbands yet, there's art. They're always looking for an example and, um, We can't expect ourselves to simply just change overnight, meaning that if you want to be a godly man, and this is something that I've been having to deal with, but if you want to be a godly man and lead a godly household someday um, and have um, a family, you can't just expect you to get your life together as soon as you have a family. It starts with your everyday choices, decisions. I'm going to go party over here. I'm going to get in God's Word. I'm going to slack today at work, or I'm going to go in and provide a good work ethic that I can show my kids someday. It all starts with your example that you set now and the lines that you're unwilling to cross. So let's pray. Father, right now, I thank you for your love. I thank you, God, that you are good, and I thank you, God, for the opportunity to come up here um, and preach your word. Father, I thank you that you are good, and I thank you for all the, the men in here, God. Um, I know there's lots of great ones, Father. And I just praise your name for that, Father. Help us to be men of you, men who are unwilling to cross lines, God, and men who um, love our families, God, love our community, and reach those around us, Father. thank you that you are good. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.